I think in our world, we are here to help. We're here to help usage and drive that student outcome. And I think all goals as it relates to ed tech tool in the classroom should be aligned to student impact and student outcome and student engagement and making sure that students are actively using those tools. You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sunny Side Up podcast. I'm your host this time, Rob Hall, and I'm super excited about today's conversation, really specifically to talk to uh, Jason Wilman about the topic of selling within the education market and more specifically the ed tech market. Jason joins us as the head of education at Canva. Jason joined Canva in December of 2020 after spending the last 17 years at Microsoft in a variety of different roles focused on the education space in particular. His most recent role at Microsoft was leading the entire K-12 education team globally, and now he is focused on really working with education leaders to inspire creativity and teamwork with Canva for education. Jason, welcome to the show and really excited to talk to you today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Cool. Well, kicking right off, I know I gave that that 30,000 foot overview of a little bit of your background, some of the work that you're now doing at Canva. But we'd love to pass the mic over to you to tell our listeners a little bit more about your background just in the education industry in general. Yeah, I've worked in ed tech the last 20 years, obviously, both at Microsoft here at Canva. And it's such an amazing industry vertical, right? You're working with students, teachers, professors. I've had such a pleasure working in it, but actually I've also coached all sports ranging from eight to 18, really enjoy working with the future leaders of America. I'm a president of a local nonprofit here in the Seattle area where I support over 250 families. Really, I've dedicated my life to education, growth, sports, kids, um, and I don't see myself going anywhere else in the future. Really, I think it's just the grooming of the future leaders of America. That's beautiful. I love it. So cool. With your now 20-year background in the education space in totality, a lot of the extra work that you're also doing in the space, would love to understand from your perspective about what's so unique about this education market, especially with K-12 and higher ed, I feel like are so commonly lumped together in just education, but each individually really deserve to be their own subject matter. So really curious to hear your perspective some of the differences of just the education market in general, but obviously then as we click into K-12 and the higher ed space. Yeah, I mean, at its highest level, people always talk about education and love K-12 through or primary and secondary and higher education or commonly referred to as post-secondary or, you know, and, and I think one of the things is education's unique. You have a traditional enterprise user. When you're dealing with a large K-12 district or a higher education institution, you may have a marketing department, a communications department, a finance department, an HR department. And those are considered your traditional enterprise scenarios or use cases. But then you have this educational user, a student and a teacher or a professor. And how do you connect with these individuals? And what does that look like? And specifically in higher education, you look at the student in higher education, and they're not only the consumer, they're the product in some cases for a higher education institution. And so if you really have to think about the individual personas in education and really map your use case and your scenario, making sure that your product aligns to those users, right? And I think that's the one thing people don't do well is they, they don't think about all the personas and what they're really trying to accomplish. Does your product actually impact student outcomes? Does it support and save teachers time? 
or does it help the marketing department market a private school? Thinking about all those different scenarios and aligning that is really going to help anybody in terms of how you speak to these verticals. Um, and then once again, when you think about kind of the growth in these verticals, how do you help train the users is key because they're completely different. These communities are like nothing you've ever seen. I like to say the education, the K-12 community of teachers is such a strong community in terms of helping people and how you think about that community, as well as when you think about the community members in higher education. You have students, you have professors, you have athletics, you have all these different sub-communities. And so really thinking about the personas is, is really going to help you sell into education. I love that, especially the communities within them and kind of your, your call out of a lot of companies not really doing an excellent job of pivoting away from that more traditional go-to-market of selling to an enterprise where it's, you know, everyone's unique, but it's also fairly cookie cutter. Whereas you're in education, you have so many different personalities, personas, needs, use cases. What's one or two ways that you've seen to kind of crack through the noise? Because I imagine that both the leaders, the students, their inboxes are just as full as everybody else. What have been useful ways that you've found to crack through the noise and really almost like earn the trust before you even speak to anybody on the other side? Yeah, I think impact. Impact, impact, impact. Focusing your product on the impact of the teacher or the impact of the student. And once again, from a student perspective, does your application improve their outcome? Does it improve math? Does it improve reading? Does it improve creativity, right? Really aligning to showcase how your application improves something for that student uh, and showcasing around that community is really important as it relates to the teachers, right? And that's what they want to see. Teachers want to see that your application is going to improve math, reading subjects, social studies, whatever the subject may be. And I think ultimately, from a community perspective, teachers want you to support them throughout the journey. Professional development is key in this user persona with this community of teachers are heroes. I can't understate that. They are the heroes. They are who I look up to in my life. I, if, if you have a teacher in your life, say thank you to them. What we can do as ed tech providers is help them. We can train them, give them the key skills that they need to use. And even from that, we can make our products simpler and easier to use for the teachers, right? I think that's something that I've seen really work is if you really do take an impact-driven approach and showcase how your application impacts these users, whether it be a college student on a campus, whether it be a teacher, whether it be a student in K through 12, showing how that impact can actually be demonstrated with your application. I love that. Almost like a, a servant mindset, if you will, of really helping the teachers in the space, training them to get the most out of your product, but really around the outcome, that impact that you're speaking to. Of course, that underlying just recognition of they probably have one of the most difficult jobs in America and worldwide. Um, and then really, I love the piece that I feel like transcends just this education space with that impact, right? If you're not really specific with the impact that anybody is going to experience as a part of working with you, regardless, again, of, of vertical product focus, whatever variable you want to throw in, it's so difficult to get that initial attention and just start up that conversation to move forward from there. So I really love that. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's just so many applications that these teachers, I, I recall seeing a study about a year ago, there's something like, you know, at an average school district, there's 3000 applications the teacher has access to. 
So if you put that in perspective, when you're trying to get your application in or used within this community, you really have to show the impact of it. You really have to show that it, it does drive impact in a specific subject or vertical uh, that, that they're interested in. And that really is helping. I had no idea about the 3000 number. That is absolutely absurd. I cannot imagine yeah, it's, that. It's, it's in the thousands. So don't, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll have to pull up the study, but it is, it's a lot. So no, no kidding. I'm pulling away from their attention at all times. Okay. Um, that's so interesting. Okay. So diving back into the education space then, super helpful yeah. context around impact and kind of cutting through all that noise. I think just from some of my even prior experience in the education space, there was this enormous shift that was really accelerated at the onset of a million different reasons. But I think the most notable one, of course, is COVID. It's really been, from my experience, I've seen this enormous merging of departments and teams that maybe historically didn't have the closest collaboration, and closest partnership, but was really required almost in the sense where students and kids were being sent home, especially to technology teams. Like They really had to step up and really enable student outcomes. And from my experience, a lot more than traditionally that they had been really have the ability to make that impact that you're referencing. I'm curious from your perspective with uh, almost 10 times the amount of experience that I've had in the education space, even predating COVID, would love to hear from your perspective, just the trends over time, new adoptions, maybe trends that didn't really hold the weight and how this new education space that we're in today has really been able to be a, a really a cool opportunity for Canva. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you, you go back 10 years and you have, you know, basically your IT department thinking about, oh, how do we get every student a device? Or do we, do we use labs or do we use carts of devices? And how do we get access? Which was the key. I guess that was kind of a key word 10 years ago is like, how do we get students access to a computer or device in the school system? Then COVID hit. Then you had IT scrambling to say, how do we get every single student a device at home? Whether that be school issued, whether that be issuing Wi-Fi pucks and other ways to get act, you know, and the access decision became critical to learning because that was the only thing you could do because the students had to learn at home. So what I've witnessed happen, I would say over the last three years, and obviously with COVID hitting, I, I joke with people, it's like the impact of COVID fast forward EdTech 10 years in an educational environment because it moved away from access to a device to now we have access to all these devices. We gave every student access to the device. What do we do with these devices? What's the impact this device is going to have on these students? What opportunity do we now open up for these teachers and these students with these devices? And that's where you started to see curriculum and IT come together right? An instructional design team at a school district working with IT saying, here's the four applications we need installed. Here's why. Here's the training we're going to give to our teachers and our students. And that's what's been really cool to see is historically, these two individuals may sit in different ends of a building and never speak to one another. Or maybe they pass in trainings and say, hey, that's really cool what you've done with IT. It's really cool what you've done with curriculum. But now they're so integrated and it's such an integrated workspace that they have to be integrated because a student does have access to a device. There is hundreds of thousands of tools that you can pick from. What's the right tool? And then your instructional design team gets to figure out how the impact is going to be measured with the student. And I would say that's what's so cool about different teams. Obviously, the post-COVID outlook, every student now typically has access to a device either in school or the ability to take that device home. And so that's one of the cool things I've seen. I love it. 
Yeah, I remember from my time just seeing like in the trends reports and speaker engagement, kind of just this ongoing adoption of this concept of like one to one, right? Or whatever the ratio ends up being, but this this device for each student or each subset of students. And to your point, when COVID hit, everyone was forced to home that massive acceleration. That was just the almost bare minimum expectation. That was the only way that they could learn. And it's been really cool to see that next iteration of, okay, we've laid that that foundation, right? Students now have access to that point. But what is that access actually enabling them? It's great that they have a computer, but now actually, what are they using it for? How is that then enabling the other uh, outcomes like we were talking about before? How is that increasing their math scores? How is it enabling them to be better readers? The creativity piece, I think that especially for Canva is unlocked an incredible opportunity now to engage that creative aspect. And of course, that would bleed into every other category that they learned about. Yeah, I mean, in building on that, one of the biggest struggles with teachers coming back in the classroom has been noted is student engagement. How do you re-engage students? And, you know, with Canva, once again, it's a platform where students can be creative and visual and really think beyond. And so I think that's one of the key things that you'll start to see is how coming back into the classroom post-COVID, how do we re-engage students to improve their learnings? And I've seen recently a bunch of studies around math scores and reading scores on how they fell back a significant amount. And so now it's about how do we use technology to personalize learning? How do we use technology to get these scores and re-engage these students to get these improvements back up? And so kind of taking that point and also a piece that you had mentioned earlier around just kind of giving back to the teachers, helping and training them, right? It was we're focused on kind of product adoption, right? We're kind of zooming in on Canva or really whatever the solution may be. As we think about the life cycle of being a customer, I have to imagine it's it starts with that helping and that training, right? Our teachers, our professors, as administration in a position to really help their students and their pupils get the most out of whatever tool, of course, focus on Canva for their creativity. I almost want to treat, again, K-12 and higher ed as completely different verticals, even though, sure, their education, there's certainly some commonalities, but there is so much more different that really needs to be respected. After that initial onboarding, right, you'd mentioned things like, how are we re-engaging the students to increase their scores? Would love to, for you to expound on that to really better understand, like, what does that, that customer life cycle, in a sense, look like? Yeah, it's interesting. And when you separate the K through 12 and the higher ed purchasing cycle, the only thing that I would say is similar is they all have very lengthy evaluation periods, <laughs> right? Like I'd say in education, when you think about it, there is this evaluation period in higher education that takes place. And there's an evaluation period in K through 12 that takes place. And you know, they're kind of distinctly different. So I'll tackle K-12 first and then I'll go into higher education. And, and when you think about the evaluation period for a district, they're really thinking about assessing the product. What does it do? Setting goals for the product. How many people do you want to be using the product? What does the, what does good look like? What is the evaluation and the goal you're going to set for yourself that's going to make you go procure or use this product in the classroom? Then you want to, once again, gather information from your users, your teachers, your students. Ultimately, what that leads to is a procurement at some point. But when you think about it in the assessment phase and in that goal setting phase, that is where ed tech companies should be partnering with districts and schools all around to say, what does good look like and how can we help you be successful? Obviously, in a traditional enterprise world, we may call this customer success or a customer success manager. I think in our world, 
we are here to help. We're here to help usage and drive that student outcome. And I think all goals as it relates to ed tech tool in the classroom should be aligned to student impact and student outcome and student engagement and making sure that students are actively using those tools. Now, when it switches over into higher education, once again, the purchasing cycle from a timing perspective might be different. Um, but you know, when you think about it from assessing a product, goal setting, once again, you're goal setting with just a different constituent than you may be at an enterprise because your customer may actually be the student, but the buyer, the decision maker may be IT at that point in time. So you want to make sure you're setting these proper goals, gathering information around who your customer actually is and then who the decision maker is, knowing that it could be very unique in that world because the decision maker and the buyer might be a corporate individual, but your customer may be the student or the teacher. And so that's just a distinct difference, I would say, in terms of that customer life cycle between K-12 and higher ed and specifically between education as well as the enterprise. So on that higher education example, that one actually is really interesting because you have to almost flick a switch and change that internal expectation of what am I coming to this conversation with, right? From a, a student perspective, that product side of the house, right? How am I going to help them with whatever it is that we're aligned to, right? Uh, probably some sort of um, education focused piece. Then on that corporate side of the house, right? Of course, student outcomes should be their number one priority, but I have to imagine they have some more other underlying priorities that they need to focus on. So your team has to come prepared. And again, that, that analogy of like flipping a switch to really make sure that they're tuned in on the right conversation. Is there anything that you do as a coach and kind of pulling also from your personal experience, right, out of just this corporate world that you've done that's really helped your team members really adjust their expectations and their mindsets going into these different conversations? Yeah. I mean, one of the things is really just identifying the persona. And, and I would say doing the work up front prior to having this conversation, because, you know, with my team, if they're talking to a marketing coordinator or communications director, it's a very different conversation than, say, a professor or a head of a math department at an institution, which we do have these conversations. We have conversations all the time where a head of a department at an institution says, I want all my students to use Canva. That's a much different conversation than dealing with a marketing department who says, I want to create a brand kit in Canva and manage a di digital asset book for my university to make sure that they're on brand. For, for my coaching, for my team, I would say the most important thing they can do is do the prep time in advance of the call, understanding who you're speaking to, what their role at the institution is, and then obviously making sure we have content, collateral, demos that attach and that are meaningful will have an impact to that user. I know it sounds simple, but it's the consistency in doing this over and over and over again. I, that's the other thing from a coaching perspective. And I'll, I, I, I'm currently coaching junior football with 12 year olds, but I've coached all the way up in high school. Consistency is key. If you get 1% better every day, I promise you in life, you're going to be better at whatever you're doing. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I joke with my team members that yes, I do say the same thing to a 12-year-old that I'm teaching football to them, but it's life, right? I think it's a, it's one of those things that if you stay consistent in every meeting you have, 15 minutes before, 20 minutes before, you make sure you're pulling the right talk track, the right demo, you understand who you're speaking to and their persona, you're going to be successful more times than not. I love that. The 1% better is definitely something that I've latched on to definitely in recent memory. And even I've even gotten the habit of like putting a 15-minute hold before every meeting of just like drop whatever I'm doing wrap it up, put a pin, like find a good stopping point and then just like take a step away, 
come back with a fresh mind and then put myself in the shoes of whoever I'm about to speak to, right? Refocus on what is the agenda? Like why, why even am I meeting with the individual I'm about to? What are they expecting to put myself in those shoes? And I think it's, it goes back to your concept of it's that consistency piece, but it's also just back to basics, right? Like it's, as if you're mastering those and there's so much other things that you can accomplish without having to get like crazy or creative about it, right? It's really just going back to the basics. So that piece really resonates with me personally. So you kind of talk through that assessment phase, right? We've taken the time out to really put ourselves in the shoes of the individual that we're going to speak with, really trying to understand what did they care about? Why are they coming to this conversation? Would love to understand, let's take that step forward, right? We've gone through the assessment. The outcomes have been clearly aligned. We are able to move forward with some level of engagement. What have been the most useful ways that you and your team have identified to really drive usage across the K through 12 teams and the higher education institutions that you work with? Yeah, I think this is, this is twofold in this one. I think there's some things that my team from a go to market and from an activation perspective focus on. I think there's also from a product perspective. And I think we've been very successful at driving trainings and bringing teachers in or bringing a group of marketing people at a higher education institution to teach them how to use the product. So I think when you think about professional development, it's this ongoing nature and it's this ongoing activations and usage. Um, and then when you think about a product design, like a UX design of a product, it's really important, right? Like the one thing I love to say about a great ed tech tool is when you enter an ed tech tool, you should be able to be functional and do something productive for your use case within one minute of entering that tool and no training. As you continue to get trained, that's where the tool has to expand its use case for you and be more relevant to you. And that's, you know, that's the way I describe it to my team is in the first minute, um, I run a fun little exercise. You may get a kick out of this uh, when I've done trainings with teachers where I create a farm in Canva and I have a barn and I create a fence around a farm and I send it out on a Zoom window and I tell all the teachers to go in, find an animal, do whatever you want. And for the first five minutes, we're going to play around and build a farm in Canva. So at first I thought this was really silly, but uh, what ended up happening is like, I would come back a day later into that farm and teachers were still building the farm. Like it was like, they were adding space aliens and other things. And I was like, it's really random that they're so into this farm. But I think once again, what it goes back to what I was saying is like, I got them in within a minute. They had some fun. They did something in the application. It wasn't me talking. It was like, hey, them actually doing something in the application. And then I'd follow back up and follow back up. And it was like, they were getting more advanced. They were adding videos of things into Canva. They were adding, like I said, aliens across a, coming to pick up a cow. But like, that's actually pretty advanced use case. You know, like some of this is using 3D models and can't like, pretty cool stuff. Uh, but once again, as we teach them to use it more and more, it should continue to get more advanced with them. And so that's one of the things that I would say that we have done a really nice job of is making sure in our trainings, people are using Canva, but also from a product perspective, I mean, Canva is second to none. The UX, the UI, the experience is so simple. I always love to tell people, you know, I, and this was when I first started at Canva, my 10 year old son would use Canva. He used Canva for his book report, his Christmas cards, his Christmas posters for his buddies. And now that he's 12, he's doing like really advanced stuff in Canva. And so it's like, as you grow with Canva, Canva can grow with you, but 
obviously we have to teach and train those users how to do that. I love that far example and how creative people, <laughs> I can see myself definitely jumping back in, but also it, it drives to that initial point of that adoption, right? If it's intuitive with them and, and they're spending time inside of that demo, if you will, right? But after that call has taken place, obviously something has resonated with them or worst case scenario, which is probably still pretty good. They've given it to one of their students or maybe their own child just to play around with and have some fun in, but naturally they're just learning how to integrate with that system. And to your point, like take that next natural step, not because they had a training, not because they watched this demo video, not because they, they read this help article, right. Or the other traditional ways. And I feel like most products enable their users, but it's just that intuitive user interface. So that's really cool. I love that. So really enabling that adoption with that ongoing development, and then just ensuring that the product backs it up, right. Almost if you pull away that adoption piece, our users still going to be really engaged with it outside. So those are the two pieces that I think the, the most notable piece that a lot of vendors could struggle with in that space is a product that isn't really intuitive. It requires that training outside of that product piece, right? And of course, the adoption that goes along with it. What are some of the other challenges that you've seen and really driving adoption across the landscape? Yeah, I mean, education is really unique because I think there are so many you know, free, paid, non-ed tech tools that can be used in an ed tech environment. So I think the, the sheer scope and number of applications in both K-12 and higher ed that can be used is significant. So I think there is a concept of like change management as well. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, whether the teachers and students are comfortable in one platform that maybe just 70% of their work and then switching into another platform to do a little bit more, which obviously that's a change in mental. But when you think about a class period, um, I always like to tell people like, you know, let's say you have 45 minutes in a class every day, 45 minutes. If you waste five minutes of that day, just trying to switch applications or switch mind sharing, and you've wasted 10% of that space. Um, and, and switching applications and switching, you know, it's a really big challenge. So making sure that you are supporting teachers and professors in scaffolding in the way they want to have it scaffolded is really important. Um, that could be a lesson plan. That could be a one week lesson plan. That could be a, a higher education project. That could be notes within Canva that they've just stored there. Uh, but making sure that it's like scaffolding up to like the bigger concern or the bigger impact that you want to have, I think is something it's really important. Otherwise, what you're going to see from your application is they're going to use it once, leave and never come back. They'll find, oh, I, I found it really fun to do this in Canva and I'm not coming back to Canva because I'm going to do the rest outside of Canva or insert product X, right? I'm going to do something for math in this one area and I'm gonna leave and never come back. So making sure that your application is scaffolding to build on bigger use cases and bigger scenarios and different areas, I think it's really important. I think the, the change managing, I would even group that almost like in the cultural aspect is typically what I see that being grouped in as is always important, right? How is this going to impact the current workflows of the users, product agnostic? How is it gonna complement? What is the one or two things maybe they need to learn but I love that scaffolding analogy. I've never actually heard it in the, the context um, that you've used it for. We're building up to something bigger, but how, like, what is that foundational work? What is that scaffolding allowing you to do so? So I really actually like that analogy as well. Shifting more again, kind of focusing in on your teams and that education and that ongoing enablement. I, we've touched on a couple of things, right? About shifting the mindset, that expectation, setting that mental block to kind of just reframe your mindset, whatever you are working on to refocus in on your new audience. 
What are other things that are really helpful for maybe somebody for the first time coming into the education, right? Whether it be K through 12 or higher ed, what are some of those common pitfalls that you've seen users and sales reps and your marketing colleagues and all the other coworkers that you've had? What are some of the common pitfalls that you've observed time and time again for people's first entry into this unique space? Yeah, the the number one thing I see typically is don't tell a teacher how to teach. Um, They know how to teach better than we do. They're in the classroom. Even if you've been in the classroom, even if you've coached, teachers, once again, are heroes. So I never want to go in and tell a teacher how to teach. I always want to go in and lead with, here is how I believe our tool can help you. Let's set a goal. Let's set a practical goal of how we believe it can help. And let's align on that goal. Um, But I don't want to rethink how your teaching in a classroom is done by my application. My application is here to support you. It is not to take your job. It is not to do anything else, but to support you. Um, And I think I've seen new sellers into education lead with like a challenger sales approach of teaching teachers how to teach. Probably not as relevant in education as it is in other areas like an enterprise. Because once again, we have to be sensitive to the fact that we are working with children. Some of these children are under 13 years old. There are different dynamics, security, privacy rules that we have to be mindful of. And then as you go into higher education, once again, students there are more like consumers of any uh, product, right? The student really gets to make their own decision on what computer I buy in many cases, what applications I use. So you know, selling into higher education is like a little bit more of a consumer sale than even a B2B in some cases. And so I think like really being mindful of your vertical that you're selling into, whether it be K-12 or higher education and understanding that ecosystem within that vertical, uh, taking the time to learn that vertical um, and, you know, acknowledging that they are the expert in their field. It's like if I were selling to a doctor, I wouldn't go and tell the doctor how to have the surgery. I wouldn't teach the doctor how to do that. Would I showcase maybe how my technology could help them? Absolutely. But they're the experts. They're the ones who spent, you know, years upon years in school teaching and or learning on how to do that. So I, I set my job to tell them how to do it differently. I love that. I, coming in, I think coming with that, again, that servant mindset, but more of that humble mindset of whatever cool, great, shiny gadget I have behind me that I'm coming to showcase at the end of the day, it's simply to make their lives easier. Again, with one of the probably the hardest jobs if worldwide nowadays, um, and such a diverse audience that they have to serve to with students being on uh, every level of some sort of like education. Um, so really fine tuning their plan for their students to meet them where they are and elevate them to where they're trying to get them to. Um, I imagine there's also probably some funny stories with that challenger mindset coming in a little bit of a learn from the bird, but we'll, we'll pause on that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, la- uh, yeah, the last thing on that topic I would say is celebrate success in education. It's like, you know, celebrating teachers, celebrating students, celebration in education is key. And, you know, yes, I understand internally companies will celebrate big wins, but I think in education, we should all be celebrating the success for education and student outcomes impacts us all. So I couldn't agree more. Um, so zooming out, especially as we're, we're coming to a conclusion for today's call, um, always curious, especially with education. I feel like there's this, this conception and misconception simultaneously that education operates in a bit of its own silo, if you will, not being necessarily tied to the enterprise space, being typically more closely funded by 
uh, whether it be like private investors or just the government in general and school districts being funneled by uh, their local municipalities, things along those lines. I'm curious to hear how your team's been um, adapting to some of the macroeconomic trends that we've been seeing of some companies, of course, having some really unfortunate workforce reductions. I feel like in every earnings call, I'm hearing of some sort of uh, reduction in earnings expectations. As we shift focus again from the enterprise space really into this education and again, the K-12 and higher ed, I want to emphasize that those are two different verticals and are not just education. How are you and the team and Canva as a whole adapting to some of the wider economic changes that we're observing? Yeah, I mean, I am blessed to work for a company like Canva and have founders like Mel and Cliff and Cam who support education. Um, Canva for Education in K-12 is offered at no charge. So um, we believe it's a great opportunity for K-12 institutions to actually save money in an economic downturn and switch to Canva for Education. So um, we believe that next year is going to be a really strong growth year. Uh, We will still be hiring. We will still be growing. Um, and I think it's, we're actually going to see a lot of strong growth on Canva for education due to the economic downturn and our ability and Mellon Cliffs and Cam's desire to provide this solution at no charge to every teacher and student in the world in K-12. So I think we're in a really good position there. As it relates to higher education, uh, we're on the cusp of launching a new higher education product. So I think we're going to be in a really great position where we have a focused product around higher education, like Camera for Education, which is targeting K through 12. We're going to have a, a nice veneer for higher education on it, and we'll be launching that in the new year. So I'm, I feel really confident that we're in a really good position to support both sets of institutions in this economic downturn. Definitely a silver lining. So that's fantastic to hear. Winding down, always like to ask our guests, especially as a lot of our audience is on that professional development. That's how they found the podcast and continue to come back. Curious from your perspective, any really um, highly regarded recommendations across you know, other podcasts, websites, blogs, newsletters, um, would love to understand what you typically will turn to for interesting information and good reads. Yeah, I usually turn to my friends uh, in the business world and uh, a close friend of mine about a year ago gave me the recommendation. He was flying down to San Francisco and grabbed this book. I was like, oh, that's a great book. Uh, It's the 10X rule. So the 10X rule, the only difference between success and failure book, it's by Grant Cardone. I loved it because I think oftentimes from a goal setting perspective, I was struggling like in terms of setting what I would consider achievable, but aggressive goals and what that looks like. And I think this book really did a nice job of distilling kind of the differences between why don't you just go for 10X, not not doubling, go for 10X. What does that look like? What are the differences between people who can succeed in that world and can't? So I I really enjoyed the book, but if you're an audio book, I'm sure it's on audio book, but that was, that would be my recommendation in terms of uh, what I would be looking at. I love that. That um, that one. It, it, they had a concept, and maybe it's from one of other one another of uh, Grant's books. But like the, the your goal piece, you never lower your goal. You amplify your work and your effort in order to get there. That one I loved, especially coming out of college, and really resonated with. And then his, I think it was like be obsessed or be average. Like, and I think that underpins finding that thing that you're really passionate about, whatever it is. It's so cool to hear your passion. Like it, it's so audibly comes through and I'm blessed enough to have video for this recording so I can just see your animation and your face light up as we're talking about teachers and the work that they're doing and the celebration. So um, it's really cool to see somebody who has found something that they are so passionate about and become 
obsessed, but in a healthy way, because I think there's a negative connotation with that, but in the healthiest way possible of what you've invested yourself into. So it's so cool to see. Um, as we're thinking about our audience and their general professional development, would love to understand from your perspective and the network that you've built up over 20 plus years now at this point, any other individual that you may recommend as follow-up guests to our conversation today? Yeah, absolutely. So I've got a couple in mind, obviously, with my wide experience at Microsoft, an enterprise sales company and at Canva, kind of a B2B SaaS startup. Um, I've got two names that come to mind. The first one I'm going to give is Charlie Miller. So Charlie Miller is a corporate vice president of social learning at Microsoft. He actually sold a company, Flipgrid, to Microsoft, gosh, seven to 10 years ago. Can't, it's been so long, I can't remember. Um, close friend and mentor of mine. I think the way he thinks about education and the way he thinks about social learning from a B2B perspective, he'd be somebody that could give your audience a different perspective potentially on the social learning and community building. He's built one of the greatest communities I've ever seen in Flipgrid. Um, so I'd really kind of reach out to Charlie and, and see his viewpoint on that. And then the second one is Daniela Latham, who recently just joined Atlassian, um, is a PMM I've worked with for the last couple of years, one of the brightest product marketing managers I've met with in years. And I know from a product perspective, I believe you guys could get a lot of value from a B2B product in terms of how do you think about the UX UI? What is that? How does that help sales? What does that look like from a sales perspective and how can it assist sales in closing a deal? So those are two names that just came top of mind. Um, I appreciate you asking. Of course. Yeah. No, that, those are fantastic. I love that. I, I can only imagine the conversations. Those are super cool. Um, cool. We're winding down. Um, Jason, again, it has been such a pleasure. I've so enjoyed the conversation, some of the back and forth here. Um, leaving today for our audience members that want to get in touch with you, what is the easiest way to get in touch with you coming out of today's uh, podcast recording? Yeah. Connect with me on LinkedIn or on Twitter. Um, those are kind of the two easiest ways to connect with me. I'm happy to connect. And obviously, as you guys heard from this show, my passion is education. So feel free to connect and chat. But if you have B2B questions or anything like that, I'm happy to answer those as well. Awesome. Well, Jason, again, really enjoyed today's conversation. It was so enjoyable. I think it's a, a ton of lessons to be shared across our audience. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day and joining us here. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demandbase TV. 